You're only out for yourself. You're always trying to get your own way. It's ridiculous. You know I'm right, and you're just being stubborn as usual. You are not going out in public dressed like that. Put some clothes on. Oh, Mom, you have no idea what's in style. This is how everyone's dressing. Plus, I get lots of attention looking this good. You will never guess what she did. I'm telling you, I would never act that way. Plus, she's such a gossip. You can't trust her with anything. Don't tell her anything you wouldn't want the world to know. Ugh, I can't stand her. Look around you, kids. Isn't God so good? The trees, they're all so beautiful. And the sun, it's peeking out of the clouds and it's breathtaking. God is such a wonderful creator. Don't forget about the birds, Mom. Yeah, the school is too. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Well, good morning. Those of you who don't know me, my name is Graham, and we're glad you're here. Would it be okay if I pray again? Good. Father, set our hearts onto your wavelength. There are times that we try to do that, but we, we, don't, we don't connect as well as we'd like. And so we've come here today to hear from you, me included. So I ask that you would speak to us, speak to our hearts, speak to our minds, help us to see as you see, so that we might do as you say, because if we don't see as you see, it, it doesn't seem to make sense. It doesn't seem to be even possible. But when we see as you see, we see with eyes of faith filled with trust. And it is easier for us to take the steps forward that we need to take to honor you and to connect with you at the deepest possible level. Be with us here today. Speak today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are going to do uh, Bless This Home. This is our second week. Um, and I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're, you're part of this. What we're doing in this teaching series is trying to work through what's known as the Beatitudes. In church talk, we call them the Beatitudes, and we're going to take some of those things and apply them into our homes and families and not just to us as individuals. Uh, the word Beatitude is, is a Latin, it comes from a Latin term that means blessedness or blessedness, blessedification, blessedosity, you know, something like that. That's where we're kicking it up. And we find this in the Gospel of Matthew. So if you have a paper Bible and you'd like to look at that, Gospel of Matthew is where we're going to go. Chapter 5, you can follow along. Again, like I said, on the screens or in your notes there. Um, and Jesus shows eight different characteristics of those who are blessed. We're not going to look at them all. We're only looking at one today. And I want to apply these Beatitudes or this Beatitude today specifically to our families as we are asking that God would bless our homes, that he would use our homes as a way to make a difference in this world. Because honestly... When we look around and the people that we see, most homes, most families don't appear to be blessed when we see them from the outside. And so what can we do about that? So in our culture today, you're applauded if you, if you take care of your kids physically, right? Like it, it, sometimes it seems like it goes to an extreme. Make sure you get the kid's helmet on and elbow pads. Got to go out and check the mail, right? It, it's so overdone, but we got to protect them. Got to keep them safe. But in the same culture that values keeping them safe, when you try to protect their heart, or you try to protect their minds, or you try to protect their morals, we're often called overprotective, out-of-date, paranoid parents. We're applauded for protecting them physically, but when it comes to protecting people spiritually, people can make fun of you when you try to protect those morals and try to say that there's, there's something that we should be cautious of here. But God 
teaches us not just to protect them physically, not just to protect their physical nature, but to protect the spiritual, the purity, the, uh, their, their hearts. And I believe that we have a spiritual enemy who comes at us, who wants to rob our families of their purity, to break in, to kill, to, kill, to steal, and destroy their innocence and their trust. And Jesus gave us a very specific beatitude in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. And that's going to be our key verse today. And it goes like this. Maybe you could read it with me. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart. Now the word heart, this is translated from Greek. And the Greek word for heart is cardio. And you know that word because we get our word cardiac from there. And Jesus was using this as a metaphor. He wasn't saying, blessed are those that have a really great, pure organ that pumps blood throughout their body. Although those people are blessed, right? If your organ is pumping blood well, you are blessed. You certainly know that if it stops. Uh, but he was using it as a metaphor to describe the emotions, to describe the feelings, the inner self that we have. And so I want to be very clear about this. His message is much more broad than what mine will be today. When he said, blessed are the pure in heart, he was talking about actions and attitudes and motives and thoughts towards others. And it's much, much larger. He was talking about a lot more than I'm going to try and talk about. So for our purposes, I want to narrow down the scope, and I just want to talk about moral purity and apply it into our homes, okay? So blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, in our world today, it's very, very common to believe of ourselves and to say of other people, oh, She's got a good heart. He's got a good heart. You've heard this, right? Yeah, okay. Just make sure we're listening here. Um, but when, when you say that, did you ever stop? Like, is there a checklist that you went down to decide what qualified as a good heart? It's just kind of a thing that you say, right? Oh, he's got a good heart. And what are the qualifications that are there? Like, one day he said something nice about me, so that means he's a good heart? The reality is that even though this is a really common saying and people will say it all the time, it's simply not true of any of us. It might be polite, but it's inaccurate. And here's the thought. So if you're taking notes, you want to follow along here, we need to understand that without Christ, there is no such thing as a pure heart. Without Christ doing heart surgery on us, there is no such thing in any of us as a pure or a good heart. We could take this idea when the prophet Jeremiah, he was teaching and, and God was speaking through him and he was teaching the people. And very, very brief kind of thing that makes things so clear. And tell me, doesn't this sound accurate? The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. The heart is deceitful. It, it lies to us. It wants to deceive us. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind. The heart is deceitful above all things. You go, well, that doesn't sound very nice. That doesn't sound very friendly. But now that no one's looking at you, does it sound true of your heart? Is this not the way that you know that you speak to yourself? The Apostle Paul, he said something really similar when he was talking to his friends who were in the, the city of Ephesus. Um, he wrote them a letter. Uh, we call it Ephesians. And he said about those who were Gentiles, and a Gentile means non-Jewish, or he was writing to those who had drifted from the faith, or those who are non-believers. He said, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance 
that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. And remember, ignorance is not a condemnation here. It's a statement of what is true. They just don't know. They, they no longer know. They're darkened in their understandings. They're separated from the life of God that God wants them to have because of their ignorance. They are separated from the blessing of God because of the break in the relationship that comes as ignorance. They don't even realize it. So if you, if you, you go around and you tell somebody else in this sort of situation, they go, you're crazy. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know. You're the one who doesn't see. They don't even realize that their hearts have grown hard to the things that matter most. They become darkened in their understanding. Now, how many of you have ever gone camping? Outside, camping, okay? How many of you ever had to get up in the middle of the night because you had to go to the bathroom? Yeah, horrible suffering. Horrible suffering. Even worse, when you had to get up and it wasn't you, you had to get up for one of your kids to go with them. Just horrible suffering. We know that that's what it is. But you, you get up out of your tent and, and you, can't, you can't see anything. You're not even sure if your eyes are open. And then you start to find things kind of by touch as you're going out and gradually go, oh, watch where you're walking. Don't trip on the whatever you've left lying around. But what happens once you've been outside for a couple of minutes? You find that your eyes start to adjust to the darkness. And you can see much better than you could a couple of moments ago. And could it be that in the majority of our homes, in those families that we love, are separated from the life of God, separated from the full blessing of God, because we've been darkened in our understanding. In our ignorance, our hearts have hardened. And we don't even realize that we're missing seeing the goodness, the blessing of God because we've allowed so much impurity into our families and we don't even know it. He goes on in verse 19, he says, having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality, to feeling good, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. There are few verses in such a short space that better describe our culture today, and obviously, <laughs> Paul's culture as well. Humanity has not changed in that time. Words that were true then are true now. We change the details, but that sense of who we are, it's a play. And just reading that, it's informative, it's insightful, and it's heartbreaking at the same time. This is the struggle that's all around us. This is the hopelessness that we see in other people's faces. Having lost all sensitivity... Our culture is giving itself over to all sorts of sensuality and indulging in every kind of impurity, believing and telling each other it's good. What we're doing is good. You've got a good heart. Now in our lives, in our families, we love them. We want to protect them. We want to guard our marriages. We want to protect the next generation. Could it be that one of the reasons that our homes are not blessed is because we've allowed our soft, tender hearts to have been hardened. And it happens gradually. Our hearts are freezing up. A film of hardness appears first, and then it gradually thickens over time, just like the ice starting to form on a puddle. A little bit that thickens and deepens, and our hearts 
need to have that ice broken every once in a while. Don't let that freezing, that hardening process continue or deepen in you. Break it up again, God. Make our hearts soft to your touch, ready to respond to your promptings. We've been darkened in our understanding, and and without even knowing it, we've lost all sensitivity. And now we're indulging in every kind of evil. And you can argue and say, well, not every kind of evil. I don't do everything. It's a general way. And once you start the door, it's just just time, really, until something else comes in. So what's going to be different in our lives? Well, if you missed last week, we we started talking about a, a big kind of concept, and I want to revisit that one today. It's a mind shift. It's a different way of thinking. We're not saying anymore that we're just a Christian family. What I want you to think of as being a Christ-centered home. We're no longer just going to say, yeah, we're Christian, or hey, yeah, I believe in God, or I go to church, but now we're going to choose to make Jesus first in every way. He's not just a part of my life. He is my life. And if, if we want the blessings of God, then we need to learn to live according to His Word, not so that we would follow the rules, but so that we would gain intimacy and proximity to God Himself. And in God's presence, that's where the blessing is. It's not that you're going to get stuff, it's that you're going to get God, which is so much better than stuff. Seek me first, and then everything else gets added afterwards. So that's exactly what the psalmist describes in Psalm 119. He says, how can a young man, a young person, stay on the path of purity? And man, if you've got kids, you know what this is like. If you're a young person, it's a great question to ask. How in the world, with all of the temptations out there, can you stay on a path of purity? Well, here's what culture will tell you. They'll say, hey, just follow your heart, right? You've got a good heart. Listen to your heart. And that just made me think right away. Listen to your heart. There's nothing else you can do. Listen Listen to me. Honestly, that has got to be some of the stupidest advice that you could give anybody. Don't follow your heart. Your heart is deceitful. Your heart is deceptive. It will lead you continually to feels good. The problem is that feel good is always temporary. You, can all, you can't always feel good. And even if you, you could, what is good? What about that makes it good? What is bad? What makes it bad? Is pain always bad? See, our definitions are off, and, and, they're, and they're incredibly selfish because our hearts are deceptive. And being in my position, you get to see some things that you don't want to see necessarily. I've heard and I've seen so many married couples who followed their heart right out of their marriage into adultery and into divorce. Why? Because my heart said, he's hot. Because my heart said, she smells good. Because my heart said, she's the one. My heart says he understands and appreciates me. Don't just follow your heart. Oh God, how can a person of any age keep their way pure? Here's how, says the psalmist. He says, by living according to your word. Here's what I'm going to do. 
I will seek you with my whole heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. Again, this is not about following rules. This is about getting close. It's about approximation. How do I get closer to God? He didn't say, do these things so that you will do what I say. He said, do these things and you will draw close to me. If you do things other than what I teach you, you will hurt yourself and pull yourself away from me, pulling yourself away from the good, pulling yourself away from the blessing that I'm longing to give you. So I applied that verse and sort of translated it around for the family. So just for application's sake, how can our family stay on the path of purity? And here's the answer. Not by following our hearts, but by living according to your word. We will seek you with all of our hearts. God, do not let us stray from your commands. Now, for those of you who aren't married or uh, aren't married right now or don't have a family, you're feeling safe. You're feeling happy. This sounds like it's all for them. So yeah, preacher boy, sock it to them. Tell them what they need to do. Doesn't matter to me because I don't have a family. So I can do whatever I want. And then later on, later on, I'll get things right. So now I can sleep with who I want. I can drink how much I want. I can smoke what I want. I can watch what I want. I can say what I want. I can do what I want. I can hang out with who I want because I'll get it right later on. When it matters, then I'll change. Later on, when I have a family, then I will do those things. What you do today matters. You, you don't build a life of righteousness on a foundation of sin. You, you, you can't build a life of righteousness on a foundation of sin. Now, we talked about the same idea, and we applied it specifically um, in a different way, last October, we did a series called LSD. For those of you who are around, you might remember that. Love, sex, and dating. If you haven't heard that, or if you did, you should go back and listen to that again to get these kind of ideas back into our head. What is it like to be together? You don't get to a life of purity by arguing that what you do is really not that bad. Not that bad. That's our new standard. That's the one that we're selling. That's the one on the t-shirt. Not that bad. Nobody's perfect. You don't approach purity. You approach purity by doing what's right. Not by doing that which is not that bad. It's a standard that we write for ourselves. We are the law when we say that. It's not that bad. That's fine. That's okay. I have decided my choice, my law. But I know that I'm already in trouble because of the decisions that I have previously made. My morality judgments have not served me well in the past. Maybe you're different. But I have made a number of mistakes in morality in my past. Why do I think that now, suddenly, they won't be a problem here? If you want a harvest of righteousness in your family later, you plant seeds of righteousness in the ground today. How can a young person stay pure? By living according to your word. So let's do this. Let's, let's acknowledge that just perhaps in our homes, our eyes have grown accustomed to the darkness. Our hearts have been hardened. And we don't even see the ways that we've let impurity become a part of our lives. How do you go against the flow? Not just as a Christian family, 
but as a Christ-centered home, truly wanting to raise up a generation that puts Christ first, that listens to and is guided by the Holy Spirit and honors Him in every single way. How can we practically go about creating a culture of purity in our homes? The first thing that you need to understand in creating this culture is that it's not going to happen by accident, right? You're not going to get married and raise kids and then 20 years later go, well, doggone, they're holy. I don't know how it happened. They're all pure. Wow, what a happy accident. That's not going to happen. We're going to have to get intentional. So let's start with ourselves, all right? Get your own heart right first. Let's start there. Let's start with me. Get your own heart right. And I don't care if you're 18 or you're 88. I believe that you will set the tone in the relationships that are around you. You set the tone. And no matter where you are, you can always lead toward purity. Solomon wrote these words in Proverbs. He said, above everything else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart. Protect it. So when you're looking on how to behave and you're asking, what do we allow into our families? What do we allow, um, what do we want to be influenced by? What do we want to read? What do we want to watch? What what kind of entertainment do we want to have? What kind of friends do we want to allow closest to us? What what kind of things are we going to allow to feed into our minds? What kinds of thoughts are we going to have? What kind of things are we going to say? How do we decide what's right and what's not right? How do we determine what hurts and what helps? And many people here would say something similar to what they said before. Let your conscience be your guide. Jiminy Cricket, ask him. The problem is that Scripture teaches the same thing about your heart as it does with your conscience. You can actually sear your conscience. In other words, we can't trust our consciences for everything. Because like our hearts, we can deceive ourselves so easily. And for most of us, it's not that we can deceive ourselves, it's that we are already deceiving ourselves. And you'll hear it in your head as you say, well, that's not true, I don't really do that. Is your brain telling you that? Are you fighting back? Are you saying that's not really the way I am? As I was preparing this, getting ready, it was a a heck of a week, honestly, and this was a hard thing to, to deal with for myself as well. So I'm thinking there and I'm working away and all of a sudden I get this thought, hmm, I want some KFC and I like the smell of KFC. I have good memories as a kid of getting a special treat of KFC and at the very same time, I know in my head the voice is there but it's always quieter that KFC makes me sick. It doesn't make me sick someday. It makes me sick within minutes. It is highly likely that I will not get through one piece of that stuff that they call chicken before I'm going to have to get up and leave the table abruptly. Why does my brain tell me what I want and at the same time tell me that I don't want it? Not only do I not want it, but I have clear memories of discomfort from eating it. How many other situations arise in our hearts and in our minds that are like KFC to our lives or to our spirits? If I told you a sexist joke or a racist joke that's really funny, 
Does that make it okay? Because it's really funny? No. Funny doesn't make wrong right. Funny never makes wrong right. God, help me to get my heart right. And I guarantee you that just like me, all of you have been deceived in one way or another at one time or another. And so we say, God, if there's conversations that I have that are impure, convict me. If I'm thinking thoughts that are impure, convict me. If I'm allowing things in my home that are impure, God, convict me, show me. If I've got relationships or friendships that take me down more than I can bring them up, show me. If I'm being entertained by things that are wrong to you, God, show me. Not to bring guilt or shame, but to bring freedom. God, help me get my heart right first. The number two, parent to the heart. When you're, working, when you're working with your kids, parent to the heart. Most of us, we parent to the actions. In other words, all we want is them to do the behavior, do what I say, but we forget to focus on the heart. So when the prophet Samuel is anointing King David, he looks at David and, and, and he tells him and his family there, the Lord doesn't look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearances, but the Lord looks at the heart. And Jesus, Jesus was a fanatic about the heart. In the Old Testament, Scripture taught, don't murder. Then what did Jesus do? He talked to the heart. He said, hey, don't even hate. If you've hated, you've already committed murder in your heart. Old Testament says, don't commit adultery. Jesus taught to the heart, and he said, if you look lustfully at a woman, you've already committed adultery in your heart. He hammered away at the Pharisees, who had the outward behavior right. And honestly, you got to give these guys some credit, okay? We talk about them badly a lot of the time, but you got to tip your hat to them. Good work, boys. On the outside, you worked hard and you looked good. The problem, Jesus said, was that the, the outside of your cup and the dish, they look beautiful, shiny and good. But inside, where the heart is, it's filthy. So when we're working with our kids... We don't want to just settle for outward submission when there's still inward rebellion. This is not a one-day kind of thing, right? This is a process over time. This is the goal that we're moving to. So if you've had a couple of kids, I can guarantee you've already done this. You know this. You've lived this. One kid did something to the other kid, and you said, hey, go apologize, right? And so your, your little cherub said, fine. I'm sorry you got your feelings hurt, you big dumb baby. Apologize. It's not exactly what you wanted. They did what you asked them to do, but the heart is not right. Right actions come out of a right heart. And so again, it's never just about one single moment. It's about a process of discovery that we help. So why do kids, when they turn 18 and they leave home, why do they go wild? Because they've been conforming outwardly, but their hearts still want to do their own thing. So we parent to the heart. We're working towards purity of the heart. So if I haven't offended you yet or made you uncomfortable yet, then the third point is for you, okay? <laughs> First, we get our own heart right. Norm's leaving. Perfect timing. <laughs> Second, we're going to parent to the heart. Third, we're going to pursue perfect purity of the heart. 
And the reason I chose the word pursue is because we can't achieve it on our own. But with the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, we're going to pursue perfect purity. Why perfect purity? I mean, isn't that setting the bar so high that we're never going to reach it and all we're going to feel like is failures? Because anything less than perfect purity is not purity. Anything less is impurity. In the letter to the Ephesians, again, the Apostle Paul has said, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Stop and use your imagination for a moment. If this was the entire Bible, if that was the whole thing, and as a society we conform to those things, what would the world look like if we didn't consider it okay to have a hint of sexual immorality, any kind of impurity or greed? What kind of a difference would that make to the world that you live in? You think of the problems that surround us, and if we could get rid of those three things, unbelievable change. I've been at Bible school and I uh, living there for a couple years, living in the bubble of Bible college. And I came home, and a friend wanted to go see a movie. So I just went, and I was sitting there. And because of where I had been and what I had been doing and, and, and where I was now, I was just getting sick. I was cringing, and I was shifting in my seat. I was getting a hot sweat, and my skin went prickly. And I was embarrassed because the movie was bothering me. I was embarrassed because my friend could tell that there was something wrong. I was embarrassed, and I finally said, I need to leave. And I was mortified. What has happened? How do you explain to your friend that you can no longer enjoy what you used to enjoy with them? I mean, what's the big deal, honestly? What's gone on with you? And there was this season that I lost a bunch of money at movies. I had grown so sensitive to things that I had to keep walking out. I finally got smarter about what I walked into. And I was being guided by the Spirit. And I liked it. Even if the process made me feel awkward. This is not just about movies, okay? That was just a story that came up, so I'm not just like, all movies are bad or anything. Because I'm going to tell you another story about a movie in a minute. <laughs> I started a new job as a youth pastor, and the old youth pastor was still around, and I got invited to go to a student's birthday party. So we're at the celebration, and we go to this movie, and it's, it's a bad movie again. And I don't want to tell you the titles of the movies, because you, then you're going to, like, I'll go watch it and see, well, it really wasn't that. It's not like that. That was for me, and this time, the titles don't matter. I was so uncomfortable, but no one else that I was with was making any signs of feeling awkward at all. And even as a youth pastor in my late 20s, I stayed. I didn't walk out, and I was so conflicted inside. Do I stay for the celebration? Hey, happy birthday. Or do I go, and there's no way that I can go without making other people feel guilty. Well, yeah, I guess we were just, you know, and I made the wrong choice. And I know that. I regretted it. And I had to process through that, all the different layers. And I had to get forgiveness for that. And what was more, I was thoroughly disgusted by myself that I had stayed through a whole movie that I knew I shouldn't be watching. 
just knowing it was going to stick in my brain and it was going to come back again and again and again and I couldn't just forget it. And at the end, I was telling somebody else about it and I frequently have to process my feelings out loud which often leads to some memorable conversations for me. And I'm embarrassed to even describe this conversation, but I said these words out loud to another human being. I said, that movie was so bad, I almost walked out. To hear myself saying that, I was so disappointed. I didn't know how bad it was going to sound until it came out of my mouth. I almost walked out. And I vowed I would never be in that position again. Now if I hear that somebody is uncomfortable, bam, I'm up and I'm out. I'll stop it. And I'll encourage that child, that student, or that adult, never push through it. You say it, I hear it, we stop it. We don't make fun of people for spiritual sensitivities. The question for you is, how much impurity do you want to let in? There's a story about a 10-year-old boy who wanted to go see, this is again, it's another movie story. It's not all movies, okay? I'm just, that's the story, okay. Um, 10-year-old boy, he wanted to go see a questionable movie. It's a PG-13 movie, and mom says, nope. And he goes, oh, come on, mom. It doesn't have very much bad stuff in it. And the mom said, okay, fine. But first, before you go, I want to make you some brownies. And the kid was pumped. This is not going the way he thought it was going to go at all. So she goes out into the yard, and she got a little tiny spoonful of dog poop and mixed it in the brownies. And she finished making the brownies, and she said, here you go. But before you eat them, you just need to know there's a tiny little bit of poop in the brownies. <laughs> I'm not eating that. That's gross. It's gross. I'm not going to eat that. And she said, no, 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 no. It's just a tiny little bit of poop in the brownies. Just like there's just not that much bad stuff in the movie that you want to go and see. Too bad the kids aren't here, right? Poop in the brownies. Best church service ever. Just say the word poop and they're happy. Being a virgin when you get married is not the goal. That goal is too low. You can be a technical virgin. We did everything else, right? Championship naked Olympics, but we didn't go all the way. You can be a technical virgin, but the goal is not virginity. The goal is purity of the heart. Don't keep giving away your heart. Don't keep giving your body away. Set a higher goal. The, the, the rule side says, I, I'm a virgin, so it's good. But purity is different than just hitting a goal. It's about the relationship that you have to each other and to God. Purity is different. So what's your standard going to be? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And that works out okay, because the pure in heart are probably the only people who want to see God. Everyone else is kind of interested in avoiding that eye-to-eye -eye contact. Listen, when you find purity by the power of God, not just moral purity, but when God starts to change your heart and you stop desiring what you once desired and, and you start desiring things that matter to God, it's a profound experience. 
like I mentioned earlier, but writing and preparing for this this week, it's been incredibly convicting. I know what I want. I have memories from other times. I have highlight moments. And I want more. And there's something inside that argues against me saying that to you. That there's something that's almost embarrassed to say, I want more of Jesus, and I need to be to stop being so self-conscious about admitting that. Why is it so hard? Purity just sounds like you're being weird and flaky, but that's what I want. Purity is not about trying to please God. It's not about following rules. It's about freedom. It's about a profound and lingering spiritual experience. It's completely transformative. It's about a relationship and proximity to Jesus. Do you have a memory like that for you when you felt honest and when you felt pure? Have you ever felt like that? I want you to experience that for yourself so badly. When I was in Bible college in my first year, you learn a lot. Some of it you learn in class. And I stole a guy's sweatshirt because that's the kind of awesome Bible college guy I am. I even wrote somebody else's name on the tag so I could show him and say, no, I'm borrowing this from another friend. And one day, we were in chapel service, and it was a special communion service. And at our, our school, communion services were a big deal. So everyone's there, and we had communion at the front. You go up when you're ready. And so the whole time I was getting the prickles, right? Can't sit still. Holy Spirit conviction all over me. Guilty, guilty, guilty. And I was writhing, and I look across the room, and I see him. Like, oh, I got to do it. But everyone's going to know. Everyone's going to know. And finally, I'd had enough. And I got up from my seat, and I walked to the back. I came back up the other side, and I said, I need to talk to you. Can we come outside right now? And we went out into the foyer, and I, and I, I wanted to talk to him, and I go, I am so sorry. I lied to you, and I did take your shirt, and I will give it back. Could you please forgive me? And he smiled at me. Of course. Graham, I forgive you. I was so scared. All the lies in my head were flying down. They're going to kick you out of school. Everyone will know that you're a terrible person. Everyone knows that you're not perfect. Anyone else here not perfect? That moment, I felt pure. I felt grateful. I felt tangibly forgiven. And in that moment, I felt closer to God than I'd ever felt before in my life. I felt fantastic. And I went back to my dorm and I journaled like 11 pages. And that's probably about 57 times more than I'd ever journaled the rest of my life. This was a truly singular experience. 
Have you ever met God like that? Imagine you see God answering your prayers. And you see God using you in the lives of other people. You see God making a difference through you. And you see God using your spiritual gifts to build his church. And you see and you sense the presence and the power of God with you. And you see his power at work in your life and through your life. And you see his goodness following you every day. And you start to see him working all things together for good to those that are loved him, that love him and are called according to his purpose. When you're pure in heart, you can see the power of God in a way that you've never even imagined. Now, some of you are going to say, well, that's okay. That's great for you, preacher boy. But I've screwed up big time. My heart is already obviously messed up. And I've done things that are wrong. And I'm so far off. And the truth is, because I can tell you a story that embarrasses me, but I tell you how God intervened in it, and I can delight in that same story. I relate more to you who's messed up than I do to those perfect-seeming people. Because I've messed up more than you can imagine. My heart is deceitful above all things. And that's why I lean on the Word of God, who is Jesus, and I lean on the written Word of God, which is the Scriptures. The prophet Ezekiel, he shows God, God saying this, I'm not going to just ask you to make your own heart better. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you, and I will remove from you your heart of stone. Some of you, your heart has grown hardened, and it's more important for you to defend yourself than it is to purify yourself. So if I've offended you today, and you feel like pushing back and arguing against this, could it be that your heart has grown hard? Your heavenly Father loves you so much and is offering to give you a new heart and to remove from you your heart of stone, your heart of bitterness, your heart of self-righteousness and to give you a heart of flesh. Because there's a standard of righteousness that we cannot achieve on our own. It takes the power and the goodness of our God through Jesus Christ. And when we seek him and know him, we're not just a Christian family, but we're a Christ-centered home. And suddenly the standard rises and the, the power of God gives you a new heart and we are different. Blessed are the pure in heart. God, help us be pure in heart so we can see you like we've never seen you before. So let's take some time right now. Let's pray and let's respond to the moving of the Holy Spirit this morning. Father, we pray today that your Holy Spirit would do heart surgery in all of our lives. This is not about guilt. This is about freedom. Draw us to repentance so that we might come to forgiveness, so that we might come closer to you. Free us to see you clearly. Draw us closer to you. Take over more and more of our lives. This morning, some of you may recognize, like I did at one point in my life, oh, I've accepted doing this stuff, and 
but it's not really good for me and it's not pleasing to God. Some of you might say, I recognize I'm letting some impurities into my life and into the lives of those that I love. And you're feeling convicted by this. If you right now in the presence of God really would like to ask him to help you lift the standard of what you pursue, not just to let a little poop in your brownies, but to really, truly seek him at a higher level, to pursue perfect purity. Doesn't mean you're going to get it. You can't hit it on your own. But if you really want to pursue a deeper intimacy, intimacy with him through the purity that opens the door to our ability to see him, God, help me to live a pure life for your glory. If that's you, I want to pray for you right now. If that's you, would you just put up your hand so that I know that who we're praying for? It's important to have a chance to respond. Beautiful. Thank you, God. Hands all over this place. Father, I pray that you would do a work in us. And God, just as you've shown me again and again new things that I didn't see, I pray that you would open our eyes to see what we've allowed, the darkness into our hearts. Reveal those things. God, we pray that you would not only forgive us, and we know you do that freely through Christ, but God, you would empower us to do what we cannot do on our own. We can't fix our hearts. God, renew our hearts. Give us a new heart. Give us a heart after you above anything and everything else. Like David, we would be known as a person with a heart after you. God, I pray especially for the families that we wouldn't just be called a Christian home, but God, we would be Christ-centered in all that we do. And as you keep praying today, responding to the Spirit, trying to, trying to listen to what He is saying to you, there may be some of you, you're like, man, I don't know. You know, I hear about this stuff. I think I'd love to know God. I'd love to see God, but man, I am so far from Him. My actions, what I've done, I've got to clean up first. I've got to change what I do now. I've got to change the way I behave. And I've got to kind of get better before I can come into all this God stuff. I want to tell you now, you can never get good enough for God on your own. It's impossible. I've got to improve my heart. Listen, your heart is messed up. My heart is messed up. It is sinful and deceitful. And the only way we are made right with God is not by working our way toward Him, but by being changed by his power, being saved by his grace, we will take, he will take the old heart and he will pray, replace it with a new heart. Because of Jesus, who was without sin, who died and rose again, anyone who calls on his name will be saved. Anyone, and that includes you. There may be those of you who recognize, I really need this forgiveness. I really need his grace. That's the reason that you're here today, to call on him. And when you do, he'll hear your prayer. He'll transform you and you will never be the same again. And that's why some of you are here today and you know it, you sense it. This is the moment of your salvation. Those of you who would call out and say, yes, that's me, I need him, I need this grace. Today I call on Jesus, save me, forgive me. I don't want to just call myself a Christian. I want to be Christ-centered in all I do. I'm making you first, I'm making you the Lord of my life. This is your desire. Come on into one. Pray aloud with me right now. Heavenly Father, forgive me of all my sins. Make me brand new. Give me a new heart to serve you. Jesus, I believe you died for me and you rose again. 
so I could live for you. Fill me with your spirit. So I could follow you for the rest of my life. Thank you for this new life. I give you mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, for those of you who that may have been your first time that you've ever been able to do that, or you just like to follow up, we believe that no one should walk alone. Don't keep that a secret. We want to celebrate with you, but we want to support you in that as well. We are on a road trip together in earnest pursuit of Christ. We want you to come with us. We want you to know that you are welcome and that you're a part, and that we just need to share together. So please, if this was the time that you, that you have done that for the first time, make sure you come and talk to me at the end, okay? Thanks, guys. Finally, brethren, be perfect, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. Be blessed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. That's ah, better when you're here. They're cheering outside already. <laughs> it's better when we get together. Really appreciate you being here today. It was beautiful. The more we connect, I believe that the better it gets. We connect to each other, but together then we can also connect to God. And it's a beautiful thing to move in that direction. As you go today again, I want to send you out. I want to give you the sending, all right? And I want to remind you as you go that we are Christ-centered, we are spirit-empowered, and that we are mission-focused. And we are on mission, everyone, everywhere, all the time. At work, in Canada, in Tanzania, wherever we go, this is our calling. And it might seem heavy at times, but you never go alone. You always go in the power of Jesus Christ.